Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back after a long and eventful weekend of football, college football, NFL. Um, we got a lot to get into today, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, first and foremost, happy Veterans Day to all the veterans uh, for what they've been doing, you know, for what they're going to continue to do to serve our country. Takes a lot of heart. Those are the real heroes, you know. You know, you know, a lot of people talk about how athletes and celebrities and, you know, are their hero, heroes? The veterans, they're the real heroes. They're the real ones that's taking a risk. Um, so, shouts out to them and God bless them. Um, but, um, nevertheless, we got a lot to get into today. Let's start it up. Let's start it up. Let's start it up. Let's start it up. Now, you guys know, we're going to start off really, really light today. Buccaneers, no guests. You guys gonna get my take. You guys gonna get my take today. Let's start it up. Let's start it up. Shout out to everybody that's out there listening, that's going to continue to listen. Shout out to all the first-time listeners. Shout out to um, all the listeners that's been, you know, listening to this podcast and this uh, on this platform, uh, you know, very regularly. Uh, shout out to those people. Um, so, let's start, let's start, let's start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, the Buccaneers and the Saints, they played a highly anticipated Second game, um, you know, coming into the coming into this game, most people picked the Buccaneers to win this football game, and I mean, rightfully so. I mean, you look at what was happening, what was transpiring. The Buccaneers had went on a win streak. It's starting to seem like they, you know, they they're getting a groove offensively and defensively. They've been playing well. They're on a win streak, and the Saints. They were on a win streak themselves. The Saints on a five, you know, before this game, they were on a five-game win streak. And the Saints were, they were looking pretty good. But a lot of attention was going towards the Bucs because, you know, the excitement around the Bucs and Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. And, and now they have, they, you know, they added Antonio Brown. Um, and, you know, they had a shaky game versus the Giants. They had a shaky game versus the Giants on Monday Night Football. But... It was one. It was. It was. It was. It was one of those traditional trap games, or it could have been one of those traditional trap games. But the Buccaneers got got out and escaped. So we're going into Sunday night. Sunday night, like I said, most people picking Tampa Bay to win this game. Also, this is a really important game. This is a game with a lot going into it. Um, the Buccaneers, if they really wanted to win the NFC South, that Sunday night was the game to win because then. You have the split. But we all know it went a different route on Sunday night. The the, the Saints, they won 38-3. to three, And really, the Saints could have really put up 50. 
They, they really, they, they, the Saints could have really put up 50. The Saints could have put up 50 on the Buccaneers if they wanted to. Remember, Jared Cook had the fumble. He had the fumble in the red zone. So it, it could have got, it, it could have, this score could have been way worse. But even the score, 38 to 3, I don't even think the score, even with it being such a landslide, I don't even think the score does it any justice. Because the Buccaneers just got absolutely manhandled. They got manhandled in every form in the game. Defensively, offensively. Um, I think I think Sean Payton, first and foremost, Sean Payton and Dennis Allen, they did a great job with their game planning. I'm gonna talk a little bit more. I'm gonna take a little I'm gonna talk a little bit about the Saints, but People want to hear about the Buccaneers. Todd Bowles and this defense. I've been I've been praising this defense on and on throughout the year, but the the, the it, it it's apparent the weakness of this defense is the secondary, and I and I've been highlighting that it's a very young ultimate you know you know it it's a young optimistic defense. They wanna they they take a lot of chances. They take a lot of risk. And sometimes it pays off, but sometimes it can kill you and it can beat you. And that young risk-taking defense and that secondary, that young risk-taking secondary, it got beat. It got beat a lot. It got beat by Drew Brees. It got straighted by Drew Brees. One of the best quarterbacks of all time. It got straighted. Um, Todd Bowles, I was very surprised that Todd Bowles went to a zone. Um, he played mostly zone. He didn't, he didn't, he, he didn't force Drew Brees. Um, uh, he didn't like, he, he, like Drew Brees, his jersey was clean. Drew Brees didn't, he didn't, he was, he was comfortable in the pocket. And I've been watching a lot of Buccaneers games. You usually don't see that. You usually see the Buccaneers generating a lot of pass rush. You see these linebackers flying around. You just didn't see that. You didn't see the same energy. And I think some of that does, you know, players didn't play well, defense didn't play well, but Todd Bowles went mostly zone. You can't go zone versus Drew Brees. Drew Brees will eat a zone alive. He'll just find the, 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 the open spots in the zone. Plus, it doesn't help when you're giving him time and he's comfortable in the pocket. And then offensively, Offensively, uh, Brady and the Buccaneers, Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich. You know, I think, like I said, I think Bruce. It, it, this was a coach. I think this was somewhat of a coaching display. And on the other side, with the, with the Saints, Sean Payton, Dennis Allen did a really good job on, on offense and defense. They had things that they wanted to do, and they they accomplished all of them. And then on the other side, you look at offensively and defensively with Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich. Todd Bowles, like I said, he went zone. And then Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich, they ran the ball for a whopping four times. And I know the stat is going to say five times, but that fifth time that they ran the football, that was a kneel down. So I'm not going to even count that. But they ran the ball four times, which is a NFL record for the lowest rushing attempts in league history. So in, 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 in like in football history, 
that was the low that was the fewest amount of times that a team have ran the football. The fewest amount of times. So that shows you they did they 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 did not try to establish the running the running game. They came out throwing really low percentage passes and Brady didn't play well. And we know this recipe. I don't I don't know why people are trying to act like this is a new recipe. We know the recipe. The if you want to if you want to slow down Tom Brady or beat a Tom Brady led team or 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 um or neutralize a Tom Brady led offense, the main ingredient, the main key is Pressure Tom Brady. Pressure Tom Brady. Make him feel uncomfortable. And you're probably like, well, that's what most quarterbacks. But with, with, but with Tom Brady, it, it's a proven. It, it's, a, it's a proven denominator. Brady, pressure, it doesn't work out. If you have a solid front four that generates enough pressure without you having to actually blitz, if you're able to generate Pressure around the feet and the legs of Tom Brady when he's in the pocket, especially at the age of 43, it's going to affect him. The blueprint has been out on how to do this. Look at what those both of those Giants teams did and back in 2007 and 2011. Look at what those Broncos teams were able to do. Those Bronco teams had DeMarcus Ware on the other side with Von Miller, with Derek Wolf, and then no fly zone in the back end with Chris Hurst Jr. and Hakeem Tlaib. You, I mean, even even somewhat in the Atlanta Super Bowl, uh, in the first half. The first half, Brady was rattled. They had him out of the pocket. They were sacking him. When, in a number show this so far this year, and it's a, it's a continuous theme. When Brady is sacked three or more times, that's where you see the differences in his game. And he, he starts to look a little rattle and he, he does some tap dancing in the pocket. That's where you know you've gotten to him. And New Orleans was able to generate that with also with the back with the back end. Their back end hasn't been living up to par this year. But Marshawn Lattimore for some reason has Michael, he, he has Mike Evans number. And then they had Jack Rabbit following Antonio Brown throughout the game. So that's what did it. And it's difficult to ask a 43. It's, it's difficult to ask any quarterback to drop back 40, 45 times and throw the football. But then it's really difficult to ask a 43-year-old quarterback um, to drop back and throw the football 40, 45 times. Like, it's, it's, it, it can be done. And, you know, we see the great quarterbacks do it, uh, you know, here and there. But to do it consistently and to, ask, and, and to ask your 43-year-old quarterback to do it versus a caliber, a team of the caliber of the Saints, it's a bit much. It's a bit much. It is a bit much. But offensively, the Buccaneers, I think throughout that game, they did not establish themselves offensively. Um, they they tried to come out throwing the football, and I know Bruce Arians, he you know his you know his saying no 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 risk it no biscuit. He wants to stretch the field. He want he wants to beat you over the top. And I'm gonna talk about that a little bit because Bruce Arians made some comments. Um, and some people think he's being critical of of uh, of um. Some people think he's being critical of Brady, but. 
I think, you know, this is what Brady, this is what Brady asked for, but I'm going to get into that. But I look at, I look at it like this. And, and by the way, QBR, Brady's QBR Sunday night was four. He had a QBR of four. And I get it. Brady looked really good. He looked really good throughout these last few weeks. I never really bought into the fact of him being an MVP candidate. Um, he, I, I just think he was having a really good year. But MVP, I think I, I thought that was a bit of a stretch. Now he's kind of that's kind of simmered down a little bit after this performance and the three interceptions. And uh, you know, it's it, it's just I I just don't know what to think of it. I just don't know what to think of it. I, I just don't know what to think of it. But on the Saints and Sean Payton, you know, on on that side, let's talk about them a little bit because this is what the Saints do. Um, and, and, and also, before I move on, also, before I move on quick, with the Buccaneers, <clears throat> they're 6-3. And, and, and this is, if you're a Buccaneers fan, I don't want to say don't worry or don't panic, but you should be a little hesitant. You should be a little hesitant because you look at this Buccaneers team and it's route to a possible Super Bowl because, let's be honest, that's what you brought Brady in for. The Buccaneers last year, they were a seven-win team last year um, that had the chance to be an eight- or nine-win team. Like, this is this is no bad football team that Brady joined. Um, but this these are the type of games that the Buccaneers and Bruce Arians Brought Tom Brady in to win. These are the type of games that they brought him in to win. Let's be honest. They brought him. In, they brought in, They brought Brady in here to win these type of games and to ultimately get this get this team where I mean, look at the roster. They think they're a Super Bowl quality team. They think they're a Super Bowl quality team. But I would also say this: If you're a Buccaneers fan, don't worry. Well, I wouldn't. I, I don't want to say don't worry, but don't be hesitant. Don't be hesitant because this NFC is wide open. It, it, it's really wide open. And, I, you know, I thought Buck, I thought the Buccaneers, I thought Seattle, I, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who's the best team. At this point, I don't know who's the best team in this, in this conference. I think all four, I think like the four teams that we're all thinking that's going to be pretty good, that's going to be there at the end, you know, the Buccaneers, the Saints, the Packers, and the Seahawks. Those are, those are the top four teams in the NFC. Those are most people's top four teams in NFC, but all of them have all of them have like holes or things that you question. Um, I, I, and with New Orleans, let me talk about New Orleans. Like I said, Sean Payton, Dennis Allen did a great job. Drew Brees, I've been I've been really critical of Drew Brees um, throughout this year. I, you know, he, this was his best game by far this year. This was his best showing. He was able to pick apart the defense. Now, nevertheless, he wasn't stretching the field and, 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 you know, blowing the top off of the defense. He was not doing that by any means. But he was taking what the defense gave him. He picked apart Todd Bowles and that Buccaneers defense in that zone that they played. He picked apart that defense. And also, Michael Thomas was back, so that helped too. Michael Thomas being, being back. That helped. <laughs> that 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 helped. That helped. Alan Kamara's having a monster year, but Michael Thomas being back brought attention, a, a lot of attention 
went to Michael Thomas, and then that freed up a lot of other guys, Taysom Hill and you know Emmanuel Sanders and some others, you know Tyquan Smith. That 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 opened up the the floodgates for everybody else. That opened up the floodgates for everybody else. And I must say, that was the best showing that Drew Brees looked. That was the best game Drew Brees played all year. He was efficient. Um, like I said, he wasn't. It wasn't. He wasn't beating you over the top, but he was picking apart that zone defense that the Buccaneers were playing. He was picking that apart. But as I mentioned, we. This is what the Saints do. Like we've kind of grown accustomed to the Saints dominating in the regular season. They usually go 12-4, and 13-3. They usually have a top-two seed. Usually. That's, that's, this is usually what the Saints do. So I, 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 and I was shocked. I'm not going to lie. I was shocked. I was shocked on how the Saints just came out and just obliterated the Buccaneers in the first half. Because by halftime, the game was over. By, by halftime, the game was over. So they, 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 they completely obliterated the Bucs. But... Are we so are we so sure that this thing that we you know I, I know everybody you know it and it just shows you how reactionary people are because are we so sure because just just a couple days ago we were saying the buck the Buccaneers were the best team in the conference we were saying they're the most complete team in the conference we were saying you know the Buccaneers they they look like they're gonna win the NFC South. Now, all of a sudden, after, you know, and, and, and I get it. The Buccaneers, I mean, the Saints, they played really well, and the Buccaneers ha- did not play well, and this is the second time in a row where the Saints have beaten Buccaneers, and, and it looks like the Buccaneers are not going to win the division. But odds, odds on, the Buccaneers are probably not going to win the division because, essentially, they're two games back. The Buccaneers are two games back, essentially. And, and, and not just, I'm not talking about in the loss column, but the Buc- but the Saints won both matchups. The Saints have won fewer loss. Looking at the Saints schedule and looking at the Buccaneers schedule, um, it's it it, it 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 should pan out. The Saints are probably going to win this division, and the Buccaneers are probably going to be second. And the Buccaneers are going to have to go on the road and win. A, 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 they're going to have to win a few playoff games on the road because they're going to be a wild card team. And that, it, that was the implications, that was the big importance of the game, um, or in the, I should say the importance of the game, um, and it, it, that, 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 was, that, was the, that was the whole build-up of the game. That was the whole build-up of the game. So, um, you know, Buccaneers, I, I, I predicted 11-5, 10-6, that's what they're going to be. They're going to be about 11 and 5, 10 and 6. They're going to finish second. They're going to finish second in division. And the Saints, they're going to, they're going to probably win a division. But are we so sure the Saints are going to have, like, because we've seen them, they, go, they, they hit a dry spell in the postseason. Are we, so sore, are we so sure about this Saints team going into the postseason? Um, and I know it's ha- we're only halfway through the year. We've got a lot of football to still be played, but still. It's a legitimate question. We'll move on to Seattle um, and, the, and Russell Wilson. And, you know, I already know. I, uh, you, know you know, you guys don't, you, you, guys, you guys hit me up every time Russell Wilson throws an interception. Oh, what is your man Russ doing? Your man Russ, look, he's, he's, he's what is he doing? He's not cooking. Russ is not cooking. <laughs> oh, oh, that's funny. 
So the Seahawks lost 34 to 44. And um, people just couldn't, they couldn't let me and Russ live. And, you, you know, what is Russ doing? He's messing up his MVP chances. And somewhat, yeah, that he is. Uh, you know, he, he, he's not cooking. Let me tell you this, okay? And I know some of you guys will probably think, oh, well, you're, you're, you're making excuses for Russell. No, 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 no. These are legitimate reasons, okay? Let's be honest. <clears throat> let, 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 let's, 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 let's add context. Let's add context. Don't just, don't just, don't just, don't just look at the numbers. Let's add context, okay? Add, let's add context. Russell Wilson literally has to be Superman. He has, he literally has to be Superman. I actually tweeted during the game as the, um, as the Buccaneers, I mean, as the Buccaneers, as the Bills jumped out to a pretty sizable lead, I think it was a 14, it was a 14 point lead. It was 14-0 and I said, and I tweeted, the Seahawks defense is non-existent. And Russ is going to have to put his Superman cape on. And he is. He's got to put his Superman cape on. Now, you, you, you guys are like, oh, Russ is not cooking. Russ is not cooking. No. Russ is cooking. He's cooking. And some of the meals are turning out to be really good meals. But he's also burning some meals. Russ is burning some meals. And, 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 and okay, okay. He threw a couple of interceptions. But... Do you guys understand why he ha- why he has why why he's throwing interceptions? His defense can't stop a soul. His defense can't stop a soul. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. The, the Seahawks are six and two, and and, and Russ he, he Russ is having a pretty good. Russ is having a good year. Twenty eight touchdowns, eight interceptions. But his defense can't stop a soul. His defense is on pace. To giving up the most yards in NFL history. I repeat, his defense is on pace to giving up the most yards in NFL history. His defense, Pete Carroll's defense, Russell Wilson's defense, Russ, the, the, literally, the Seattle Seahawks are literally asking Russell Wilson. To win a shootout every single weekend. The moment Russell Wilson steps off the team bus, he has to put his Superman cape on. And they're six and two. The Seahawks are six and two, and they'll probably win their division and they get to the playoffs. But are they gonna win a Super Bowl like this? They're not gonna win a soup, they're not gonna win a Super Bowl like this. Giving up this much yardage. You're not going to win a Super Bowl like this with this secondary. You're just not. And if you want me to be honest, Pete Curl, Ken Norton Jr., what the hell are y'all doing? I mean, mean, this defense is is porous. This secondary is porous. And let me me, me unravel this. The, The main issue about the Seattle Seahawks defense this year is their front seven. They can't generate pass rush. They can't get pass rush. Well... This past Sunday, they got seven sacks. They was able to get the Josh Allen. But wh- who knows what happens? The secondary. The secondary. Every week, and this is, in, you know, you guys talk about, oh, he threw interceptions. First of all, I think interceptions are a bit overrated. 
Um, I think if they don't cost your team points, if you don't throw, like, I'm going to explain my logic of interceptions and how I see them. But let me tell you this. Every week, Russell Wilson knows the opposing quarterback, the opposing offense, they're going to hang 30 on, on his defense. They're going to hang 30 on his defense. So he already knows he has to go out there and score 40 points. He, he knows that. So every possession matters. And what does that mean? He knows that he, he has to go out there and score at, at least 35 to 40 points. So what does, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means he has to push the ball and be aggressive every offensive possession. He has to push the ball and be aggressive. What does, what does that lead to? That's going to lead to an occasional interception because you have to push the ball down the field and be aggressive. He can't dink and dunk like Drew Brees. He can't dink and dunk like Tom Brady. No other quarterback in the league goes into every weekend, goes into every game knowing that their defense is going to give up 30-plus points, um, at least not the elite ones. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to worry about his defense every single week giving up 30-plus points. Uh, Tom Brady doesn't have to worry every single week. He doesn't have to worry about his defense giving up 30-plus points. The same could be said for Patrick Mahomes. The same could be said about Lamar Jackson. The same could be said for about a lot of quarterbacks. They don't have to worry about their defense giving up 30-plus points and in, in, in the opposing quarterback looking like the, next, the second coming of Dan Marino because that's what Josh Allen looked like. Josh, the Seattle Seahawks. Let me explain to you how bad the Seattle Seahawks defense looked. Let me, let me explain to you how good they made Josh Allen look. And I like Josh Allen. Josh Allen's a very talented guy. But Josh Allen, prior to this Seattle Seahawks game, Josh Allen couldn't throw a football into the ocean. He was missing five-yard out routes. Now he played against Seattle Seahawks. He looked like the second coming of Dan Marino. That, that just shows you... That just shows you how porous this Seattle defense looked. So, yeah, okay. Do you, oh, you want to blame Russ? Blame him. Blame him. But I'm just going to add context. I'm adding context. I'm adding context. Russell Wilson, every single week, comes into the game. He comes into the game knowing that his defense is going to give up 30-plus points. And this is why he has to be so aggressive. And also, also an element that I don't think gets talked about enough, Seattle, Seattle running backs, they're never healthy. The Seattle Seahawks running backs, are not, they are never healthy. And I think with Chris Carson, or with, you know, with the loss, with the subtraction of Chris Carson, this team turns into a different football team. When they have Chris Carson, they are able to run the football Russell Wilson is able to, um, you know, he's able to allow, he's able to, to know that this guy's going to be able to run the football precisely pretty well. But with no Chris Carson, they have no running game. Chris Carson and, they're, and, and the Seahawks running backs, they're always hurt. Last year, that was the problem. This year, it's the problem. So they don't, so you're talking about a Seattle Seahawks team that does not have a, a, a sufficient defense. They give up a lot of yardage. And then also, you're talking about a Seahawks team 
that that often does not have an established running game. And, and the main reason to that is their running backs are always hurt. And Buffalo, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like Buffalo, they're not a good team. But Buffalo, they were struggling the last few weeks. Buffalo barely beat New England. Buffalo's been struggling. Buffalo's been struggling throughout the last three weeks. All of a sudden, they pick it up. All of a sudden, they pick it up. That, look at Seattle's defense. Look at Seattle's defense. Seattle's defense made New England offense look explosive. Remember week two when Cam Newton went up to Seattle and he nearly threw for 400 yards and, and, and New England's offense looked so dynamic? That's because of Seattle. That, 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 that's how bad Seattle's defense is. That's how bad Seattle's defense is. They turned every quarterback into Patrick Mahomes. They turned every quarterback into Patrick Mahomes. So that is the feeling that Russell Wilson, that, that's what he knows. He knows that he has no running game. He knows that his offensive line isn't the best, isn't the greatest. And he also knows that his defense, the opposing offense, is going to hang 30-plus points on his defense. And, and I'm going to read you this quote. This is so funny. I'm going to read you this quote from Pete Curl. And he talked about, this is, on, this is on the Seahawks' loss. I'm going to read it to you guys. These guys didn't even try to run the football today. We didn't, we didn't expect that to happen. We didn't think they would, they would, they would totally abandon, abandon the running game. We had, a nice, we had a real nice game plan for how they were going to run it. We, had to be, we got to be able to adapt better. That was from Pete Carroll. That was for Pete Curl. So Pete Curl, he didn't expect them to pass the football today. He thought they were going to run the football. He, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But Pete Curl, Ken Norton Jr., they have, they have to do a better job at, um, at adapting, at adjusting. You know, th- th- this is a league of, adjust, of adjustments. And I, I think Pete Curl, this is no shot to him. I think he's a really good coach. But this has been – this is – you know, the Seahawks defense, they have been trending downward for the last couple years. And it's, it's just so alarming this year because, it, 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 you know, it's at a historic pace. Their defense is historically bad this year. But the Seattle Seahawks defense was ranked 26th last year. They were, they were at the bottom half of defense last year. So this is a continuous trend. But it's just so alarming now because it's alarming now because this defense is historically bad and it's going it, it, it's it's going at a historically bad rate. That is why it's so alarming now, and the Seahawks will not be able to get to the Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl unless their defense gets better. They have to fix this. They have to fix this. And, you know, with performances like that, does that hurt Russell Wilson's MVP case? Yeah, it, it, it does. Especially when you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes who, you know, throwing for five touchdowns, 400 yards. He has 25 touchdowns on the year to one interception. Russell Wilson has 28 touchdowns on the year, but he has eight interceptions. So, yes, performances like that, it does hurt Russell Wilson's case. 
But don't don't tell me that Russell Wilson is the problem. Don't tell me that he's the blame for the Seahawks loss. He is not the blame. He put up 34 points. He put up 34 points. If you put up 34 points, that should be good enough for you to win. It wasn't, though, because his defense gave up 44 points. His defense gave up 44 points. So, you know, yes, Russ is cooking. Russ is still cooking. It's just some of his meals are coming out a little bit. He's burning some meals. That's all. He's cooking. He's just burning some meals right now. He'll be back next week, though. He'll be back. I think he, I think he have a bounce back week. Um, it's a bad loss, but look at the look at the look at the theme. Look at look at Seattle's two losses. Seattle's two losses. Buffalo Bills, Arizona Cardinals. They gave up forty four to the Bills, and they gave up thirty seven to the Cardinals. You see the trend. You, you you see the trend, and it's hard to win shootouts every single week. It's hard to win. It's 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 so hard to win shootouts every single week. Every single week, the the Kansas City Chiefs don't even they don't even win every every single shootout. They they don't they don't even get into shootouts like that. They don't want to. They don't want to get into shootouts. So, I think Seattle will be. I think Russ will be fine. I think Seattle. I think they'd be fine. But if they really want to be legit Super Bowl contenders. If they want to get, if they want to win another Super Bowl, if they want to get to another Super Bowl, they have to show up this defense. It's a must. It is a must that they show up this defense. You guys, <laughs> you guys are funny. But um, let's shift gears. So I watched it on Sunday, and and I, and I knew this would be a really entertaining game. Uh, the Miami Dolphins traveled to Arizona to play the Cardinals, and we obviously we had a Tua Tagovailoa matchup versus Kyler Murray. Um, Kyler, he looks, he, he looks, he's a top. Kyler Murray is a top ten quarterback um, in football, and he looks like he looks. He, I mean, he's not gonna win the MVP award this year. At least I don't think so. But. I mean, once you get past Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, like Kyler Murray's like he he's like he's right under those guys. So he's having a phenomenal year. And Kyler played he played terrific on Sunday. But I want to talk about Tua and the Miami Dolphins because this is now that, that was Tua's second start. That was to a second start, NFL start. He's 2-0 as a starter. And, um, you know, Brian Flores and his great defense with the Miami Dolphins, they're 5-3. and three. They're rolling the high end. They look like a – this Miami Dolphins team look like a playoff team, but I am not – I'm not surprised by it. I know a couple people are caught by surprise. I'm not surprised by it. I saw the writing on the wall last year, and coming into this year, I've been pretty consistent and pretty high on the Dolphins and where I stand with them. And I thought they would be an eight eight playoff team. Um, looking at the remaining of their schedule, they could possibly go nine and seven. They could possibly go nine and seven uh to get into the playoffs, which would be really good. Nine and seven, ten and six, maybe? Look, I mean, just I mean, like, if you haven't seen the Dolphins remaining schedule, go look at the go look at their remaining schedule. 
Look at how they're playing right now. They're playing some really good football. Brian Flores is a great defensive mind. Um, and, and Tua, he, he did a lot more. He showed a lot more. Everybody is impressed by Tua. And go look at, but I would encourage you, if you're questioning, like, are they really that good? No. Look at their remaining schedule, and you tell me what their record may be. Because I had them as 8-8 eight and eight getting into the wild card. But now, I look at their remaining schedule. They're 5-3 and three at this juncture. You tell me you 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 tell me what their what their what their end of the season record it's going to be. I it looks I'm gonna say nine and seven, but it could be ten and six. Look at their remaining schedule. It's a it's a it's a lot of teams. They I think they play the Jets. Uh, I think they play New England one more time. I, it's a it's not a it's not a hard schedule. It is a very doable schedule. It's a very doable schedule. Actually, I'm gonna get my. I'm, I'm looking it up. Uh, I'm getting my people to look it up. If you guys can look that up for me, Dolphin schedule. Uh, I'm getting somebody to look it up for me. Dolph, Dolphin, the Miami Dolphins schedule, because they're five and three right now, and they're second in the conference, and the Bills are seven and two. But okay, here it goes. This is their remaining schedule. This is their remaining schedule. They play the Chargers this upcoming week. They play the Denver Broncos. They play the New York Jets. They play the Cincinnati Bengals. They do play the Kansas City Chiefs. Then they play New England, Las Vegas, and then the Bills. There's some wins there. Somebody's texting. There's some wins there. There, there's some wins there. The Chargers are they they they, they, they the Chargers they invent every week. It seems like the Chargers they invent new ways to lose games. The Broncos are inconsistent. The Jets are horrible. The, the, the Jets are the worst team to put on shoulder pads. Um, the, the Cincinnati Bengals, they're not that, they're not that good. Uh, Kansas City, obviously, that's going to be a tough game. New England's going to New England's gonna be a, a, a pretty tough game. But I, I, I still, I mean, Miami right now, the way they're playing, New England is trying to hold on by a thread. That's a doable schedule. Tell, please tell me where 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 you see five losses. Then I, I would be I would be shocked if they lose five games. If they lose five more games, I would be shocked. But you know that's what I predicted. But I think looking at this schedule, nine and seven, ten and six is doable. So my main point I want to get to is why did I like Tua so much? Because before the draft, coming into this draft, I liked Herbert. I thought Herbert had the most talent. Um, I wanted to see how Bur- how Joe Burrow would play with the lack of supporting cast in Cincinnati. He's done great. And now we have Tua. Tua had his coming out party. Last the, his first start, um it was more it was more so about the defense, um the special teams. It was a really good game plan put together by Brian Flores versus the Rams uh, a couple weeks back. But now uh, versus Arizona, going head to head with Kyler Murray, and, and and Tua got the best of Kyler Murray. Kyler, I mean, I mean, Kyler did play well, played terrific, but Tua played really well. Tua played really well, and this is why I like Tua. First, Tua is a winner. Like Tua is a winner. He won at Alabama. He's he, he's starting off his career two and zero. It looks like the Dolphins are. It looks like the Dolphins are in position to win the to get into the playoffs, but also 
have a legitimate shot to win the AFC East. Um, and, and, and I've heard I've heard people going as far as to say that Tua Tagovailoa is already the best quarterback in the division. I've I've heard people say up you know this year twenty twenty this year just this year alone twenty twenty Brian Flores has been the best coach in this division, and I must say they they have really strong and compelling arguments. But I like Tua because he's a winner. I like Tua because I thought he was I thought he was a transformational talent. Um, at Alabama, think about this. At Alabama, Alabama, yes, it's a powerhouse program, tier one program. Um, Nick Saban, greatest college football coach ever. I get that, understand that. But I feel like when Tua took the reins at Alabama, I feel like he transformed. The offense, he transformed the offense in what Nick Saban does at Alabama offensively. And I know Nick Saban, he's a defensive-minded coach. But offensively, the, 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 remember, Alabama used to be a, a ground and pound, physical, we're going to run the football 30 times. We're going to, we, we, it, was, it, was, it was very much old-fashioned, old-fashioned, in traditional football that was being played at Alabama. That's how they used to play offense. Then Tua took the reins. Tua took the helm and he took the offense and it turned into, he transformed the offense. It turned into a spread over the top, beat you down the field. And yes, Alabama had some really dynamic receivers. Yes, Tua had dynamic receivers at his disposal. But I think with Tua's talent and the way how he transformed that Alabama's offense was incredible. And even though you can say, yes, he had four first-round receivers, four potential first-round receivers, obviously, okay, it's Alabama. Like, they're going to have a great supporting cast. But I thought it showed a lot, and I saw a lot, with him transforming the offense. Even with Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts, even when Alabama had Jalen Hurts, they were still a run-first football team. They were still a run-first football team. They really weren't. They weren't beating you over the top and spreading you out. They were still run-first because that was they played the Jalen Hurts strengths. Jalen Hurts strengths strengths were run-first, being a mobile quarterback, using his mobility, using his athleticism. Tua transformed Alabama's offense, and now. I look at it, he's with Brian Flores. I like Brian Flores. I think Brian Flores is one of the better young coaches in the league. Even throughout last year, when the Dolphins were struggling. But as the latter part and as the season went on, the Dolphins started winning games. And I said, yes, despite the Dolphins not winning a lot of games, despite them not playing well or they weren't winning a lot of games, or you know, they just didn't have enough talent. That's 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 quite frankly what it was. They didn't have enough talent. Last year, the Dolphins they had a bunch of second string and practice squad guys playing for the most part. They have enough talent, but I said Brian Flores is building a culture in Miami, and I said you can build a culture without winning. That's what I said about Brian Flores. You can build a culture in Miami without winning. And that's what he did. And now we're seeing, we're seeing the fruit of his labor right now, and they're prospering. Five and three, 
chance to get to the playoffs, uh, a chance to win the AFC East it, for the first time in a long time. And also, this this shows quarterbacks don't have to have offensive minds. Young young quarterbacks in the league don't have to have offensive gurus as their coaches. Now that's no that's no that's that's no that's no shot to uh, Sean McVay and, and and with the Rams and Jared Goff. That's no shot to Sean McVay. Sean McVay does a really good job with Jared Goff, and he does a really good job with that offense, and he does a really good job with his defense. He he's not a defensive minded coach, but. Sean McVay does a really good job with his defense, especially. I mean, he, he it looks like he hired the right guy defensively for the for the Rams. But it just goes to show you, you look at you look at a lot of dynasties in NFL history. It's been a defensive minded coach paired with a quarterback, Brady and Belichick, the '90s Cowboys, Mike Tomlin. Bill Coward with Ben Roethlisberger, Tony Dungy, and Peyton Manning, and and there's there's so many there's so many other examples. You can go back to the seventy Steelers. You look at the seventy Steelers. Chuck Noll, defensive minded coach. They won four Super Bowls in what six years? I think the Steelers won four Super Bowls in the seventies in six years. In six to I think it was like seven six or seven years. They won four. They won four Super Bowls in that span. Chuck Noll was a defensive-minded coach. Who did he have as his quarterback? Terry Bradshaw. Nineties Cowboys. Nineties Cowboys. Troy Aikman with Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson was a defensive-minded coach. He had Troy Aikman as his quarterback. You can look at Seattle. Look at Seattle and Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. They're not a dynasty, but they are a perennial playoff team, and, and, and now their defense isn't that good. But with the Legion of Boom, and when it was winning Super Bowls, and when they were getting to the Super Bowl, they had a dominant defense with a playmaking quarterback in Russell Wilson. Look at Don Shula. Don Shula was a defensive-minded coach. Two Super Bowl victories. Look at... Hey, hey, look at um, um, Tom Landry and the Cowboys, a defensive-minded coach. Two Super Bowl victories. That, 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 see, there's a trend. So you, you could say, you could, I know a lot, of, a lot of teams want their young quarterbacks to be coached by offensive gurus. And I'm not saying you, you can't win that way because you can. Um, you, you can. But, 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 dynasties. It shows that dynasties in the NFL are usually built with a defensive-minded guru and, and genius and a really good quarterback. And that is what the Dolphins have. Now, I'm not saying the Dolphins are going to be the next NFL dynasty. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying with the, gen- with the, with the defensive-minded genius of Brian Flores in Miami, he's building this defense and now Tua Tungavailoa, he he looks like the guy. <laughs> like, let's be honest, Tua looks like the guy. He looks like he's gonna be there. He's the future of Miami. You you right now in Miami, and this is this is Dolphins fans should be excited 
I'm not saying it could be the next dynasty. I'm not saying that. But they are going to be, I I can see them being a perennial playoff team with this formula. Brian Flores at the helm with Tua Tagovailoa. Yes. just, just Just look at history. Look at history. Look at history. Look at the dynasties. Look at the dynasties in the NFL. It's often a defensive-minded coach with a quarterback. And I think this is what makes this is what made Brady and Belichick so good because Brady and Belichick, you know, they they, they were Belichick, Belichick defensive genius. Well, with Belichick being a defensive genius, he can point out and he can tell and he can show Tom Brady, hey, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm a defensive genius. If I I'm gonna line up this way. So if I line up this way, this is what this is how you can attack this. This is how you can attack this particular zone. This is how you can attack this particular defense. With a with a with a defensive-minded coach, it that that defensive-minded coach. Can can give insight to Tom Brady, or well, can give insight to a quarterback, their young quarterback, like Belichick did. Belichick, Belichick, defensive genius, defensive genius. But he gets a quarterback like Tom Brady, and he gives Tom Brady insight, and he says, "Hey, Tom, this is if if I, if you had this type of defense, if you if if a defense gives you this type of look, this is how you attack it. This is how you can pick apart that defense." I think it, it's it's perfect. So yes, you I, ideally you would think, yeah, offensive minded guru with my young quarterback that should work. But dynasties in the NFL are usually built. They're usually built with defensive minded coaches and a and a really good quarterback. And that defensive minded coach can really help and sh- it, it can really help a quarterback, a really good quarterback, and it can tell them. How to decipher and pick apart a defense because he's the because the coach himself is a defensive minded guru. It makes sense. It makes sense when you think about it. It makes sense. And I like what I like. I like. I absolutely like what the Miami Dolphins have brewing down there with Brian Flores and Tua Tagovailoa. And I, you know, I you know, Burrow and all of these. And my, by the way. All of these young quarterbacks, these rookie quarterbacks, Burrow, Herbert, and Tua Tagovailoa, are playing well. They're all playing well, and they're all going to be really good quarterbacks. They're all the future of their franchises. But look at but look but look at their current situation. Who has the best situation? Herbert, Burrow, or uh, Tua Tagovailoa? At this juncture, at this moment, Tua Tagovailoa by far has the best situation. Um, Herbert and the Chargers, like I said, the Chargers. They're just they're just inventing new ways every week to lose a football game. The Cincinnati Bengals, they're de- defensively they're not good. They can't stop a soul. Um, they they need to rebuild that offensive line around Herbert. I mean around Burrow, so he can live to see another day. He's the most pressured quarterback. He's the most sacked quarterback, and he's the most hit quarterback in football. He is the he's the he's the most he's the he's the quarterback under the under the most duress every single Sunday. So if you line up and you look at these and you look at all of these quarterbacks supporting cast, who has the best supporting cast? Tua Tagovailoa does. He has the best supporting cast. He has the best supporting cast. And uh, I'm not I'm not saying that makes him better than Herbert or Burrow, but who has the who has the upside of winning the most? Probably 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 Tua. 
Bobby Tua because Tua has a better he has a better coach and he has a better structure around him. Simple as that. Simple as that. Yeah. So we we move on. Um, so I talked about Tua, but the NFL owners they approve two things. They approve a sixteen team playoff format. So basically, that that might sound a bit confusing. So basically. Uh, each conference on, on a, you know, this year there was supposed to be seven playoff teams from each conference. Well, the NFL owners, they approve, if, if a game is canceled or if a week is canceled, um, the NFL owners, they did approve for eight teams in each conference to make the playoffs. So we have an we have an even expand we we have spent we have expanded the playoffs even more and I I look at it just as another money grab for real for real um I don't like it I think it it, it takes away from the it takes away from the hard work um that whoever the number one seed is it takes away from their hard work and, and, and all the things they had to do to earn the number one seed and then for that to be just stripped away. I, I I don't I'm not a, I'm not particularly in favor of that. I think the number one seed should have a bye. I have no problem with the number two seed not having a bye, but now the number one seed doesn't have a bye, and now we have we practically have like it's like an NBA format. The AFC has eight teams, the NFC has eight teams, and I just think that's that's ha- that's half of the league that gets to make the playoffs. I just think with the playoffs. You're either good enough or you're not good enough to make the playoffs. And just with half of the half of the teams in the league, with them being able to make the playoffs, I just don't think is you know I I just don't like it. I just don't like it. I just don't like it. I'm not a huge fan of it. But another thing that the owners, another rule so forth that the owners have approved of is. They're gonna the, the 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 league is now. This is this is this is a this is this is practically an extension of the Rooney Rule, but now, team the league is gonna now reward teams for developing racial minority head coaches and GMs and executives, etc. So basically. This is the this is the moral of the rule. If if you have a head coach or an executive that is hired by another team, you receive benefits. So for example, if that's a, if that's confusing, if that's confusing, for example, a team like Kansas City and Eric Benemy. Eric Benemy is is the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator. And he should have a coaching job um by next year. Like Eric Eric B should have a he should have a coaching job next year. A head coaching job next year. He should. If 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 say if the Texans hired Eric Bimini, the Kansas City Chiefs would receive two additional third round picks. So basically, if 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 your franchise, if your team is developing 
black coaches, GMs, or executives, or so forth, if your team is developing those those coaches and they get hired by another team, the team that developed those coaches and those GMs or those executives and so forth, they receive benefits. They receive additional draft picks. And let me tell you this. The Rooney Rule has been in place um, coming into the year, come at the start of the 2020 season. I think there were three black coaches, um, Brian Flores, Mike Tomlin, and, and Anthony Lynn. Brian Flores, Mike Tomlin, Anthony Lynn. And then Ron Rivera, he's a minority. So there were four minority coaches, but really three black coaches out of 32 teams. But black players make up 70% of the league. So you can see the disproportion and the ratio is it's, it's not good. That three, three black coaches out of 32 teams. That is, that's not even 10%. That's not even 10%. But there, but 70% of the NFL players are black. So you can, you can see the disproportion. And I get it. I, I think it's, I, I, I think it's a good rule. I, I, I hope it works. I hope it works. Um, I, I'm a bit unclear about certain about certain parts, but I just think I find it embarrassing that the NFL has to have to like I find it I find it embarrassing that the that the league um, the NFL have to take these type of measures in order for black slash minority coaches to get hired. I, I just, I just, there, I, I, there's so many black, there, I think, I just, there's a pool of black talented coaches throughout the league that should, that, that should, that should be hired on their own merit. They should just be hired on their own merit because they're good at the job. There shouldn't be no token prize. There shouldn't be. No, no, no. There shouldn't be no incentive if you hire a black coach. I just find that I just find that a bit embarrassing and quite pitiful for the NFL. Quite pitiful. Quite pitiful. I, I, I mean, you should. I mean, if a coach can coach, no matter the race, no matter if you like the guy, no matter if. The guy reminds you of himself or he or she, not just guys, but he or she. If the if if the person is good at coaching football, if they're successful at the job, they should be hired. They it shouldn't be no personal preference. It shouldn't be if this guy reminds me, if, if he reminds you of himself, it shouldn't be that. It shouldn't have to come down to that. It just shouldn't. There, there's a pool of black coaches, including Herb Minimi, at the top of the list. There's a pool of black coaches 
black executives that are talented enough to get a head coaching job. Mike Tomlin has done it. He, he he's been he he's the most winningest clo- winningest black coach in NFL history. In his 14 seasons, he's never had a losing season. Brian Flores has done a terrific job in Miami turning around and building a culture. Now Miami, they 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 look like a playoff team. And they have a chance to win the AFC East, as I as I mentioned on the previous segment. And Anthony Lynn, I mean Anthony Lynn, he, he, you know his Chargers. He's I don't know. If, I don't think he's going to be there for long, because you know I I, I think he, he's he's just losing too many games, and it's the way how it's the way how the Chargers are losing. The Chargers are just finding every which way to lose. So he probably won't be there long. But it's shown black coaches have had success. Black coaches have had success in the National Football League. I look at a guy like I look at a guy like Jim Caldwell. Jim Caldwell was successful in, in Indianapolis, and you can say, oh, he had Peyton Manning. You can say that, okay. But he went to Detroit. Jim Caldwell went to Detroit and he had back-to-back nine and seven seasons and he got the Lions to the playoffs. They fired him. They, they, the, the Lions didn't think that was enough. They fired him and they hired Matt Patricia. And Matt Patricia, in his years, he's gotten 12 wins in three years. Let that sink in. Jim Caldwell... And if somebody, if somebody can, can can one of you guys um look up Jim Caldwell? Um, if can one of you guys look up Jim Caldwell's record, um, as a coach, as uh you know with with Detroit with Detroit, okay, so with Detroit, with the Detroit Lions, he was he had an eleven. This 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 is Jim Caldwell's resume with the Detroit Lions. He was eleven and five his first year, seven and nine his second year. And then his last two years, nine and seven, nine and seven, and got them to the playoffs. And he got and, he, and, and Jim Caldwell, he he has one Super Bowl appearance with the Indianapolis Colts. So that that like, like, like let that sink in. But then the Lions fired Jim Caldwell because they didn't think that was enough. They fired Jim Caldwell, and in Matt Patricia's three years, he has 12 wins. He has 12 wins. He's a whopping 12 and 27. Jim Caldwell had back-to-back nine, nine and seven seasons. He had an 11 and five season, and he had a seven and nine season. Matt Patricia's best year as the Detroit Lions coach was his first year. Guess what his record was? Six and 10. His record last year, three and 12. His record this year so far, three and five. And the Lions are on a two-game winning streak. Or, or a two-game losing streak. Excuse me. They're on a two-game losing streak. So there's black there's been some black coaches that have been successful. Um and, and, and also with this new rule, I find it a bit confused. I'm a I'm I'm a I'm a bit confused. Because 
You're incentivizing teams to develop black head coaches um, or GMs and executives and so forth. If you're developing a, a, a head coach, why wouldn't that team keep him? Like, if you're spending all of this time developing this coach and, he, and, and he's a really good coach, he's good at what he does, why would you let him walk? Why, why would you let him walk to another franchise if you're spending time developing him and coaching him or, you know, training him and teaching him? Why would you, why would you, let, why, why would you give him up to another franchise? And then also, what does developing mean? Like, I know what developing means, but it's a rhetorical question. What does, what does, what does developing mean? Because there's a handful of coaches... That, I mean, there's a handful of black coaches that know what they're doing. But if I'm a black coach, I don't want to, I don't want, like, like when, 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 when they say developing, do they mean the black coaches, there's a handful of black coaches that's going to receive extra attention or extra training? Do, do, like, do, does that, does that, like, does that mean developing? Because if, I, if, I, if I'm just a black coach, if I'm a black coach, I just want to be treated like everybody else. If I'm good at the job, I get promoted. If I'm good at coaching football, I get promoted. What does that developing mean? Because, it, you know, is it, is it, cause I, think, I think what they're trying to, what they're trying to say is the developing black coaches they're going to receive extra training, extra attention in order for them to get premier coaching jobs. But if I'm a black coach, I just want to be treated the same. I, I, if I'm good at the job, I'm good at the job and I should get promoted and I should see a head coaching job or, 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 um, or, or, or an executive job. If I'm not good at the job, I don't get promoted. I don't get promoted. But if I'm good at the job, I just want to be treated like everybody else. I just want to be treated like everybody else. If I'm good at the job, I should get promoted. I should get promoted if I'm good at the job. If I'm good at the job, I should get promoted. That's how I feel about it. I, I, but I, I do kind of find this quite embarrassing that the NFL, that the league have to take these type of measures for, you know, for, for coach, for, for, for more black coaches to get hired. I do find it quite sad, but uh, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to hold you guys any much longer, but I'm going to wrap this bad boy up. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. You guys are doing a great job with clicking, clicking, clicking. Um, give me your thoughts about that. Give me your thoughts on any of these topics that I talk about. Um, I wanted to talk about some college football, but we were so jam packed today. We had a lot of NFL. I got some NFL stuff to get to, but I will be talking about college football. Um, the COVID COVID crisis in the SEC. Um, Notre Dame beating Clemson. What do I think about that? 
So I'm going to talk about that on the next episode. Stay tuned, but thank you guys for tuning in and continue to listen and continue to support. Greatly appreciate it. Um, Once again, always remember two choices, one decision. Thank you guys for tuning in from, from whatever DSP that you guys listen from. And I am out. Peace. Deuces. I'm gone.